to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. In today's episode, Tiffany Davis-Nazaire talks with us about surgery as a diagnostic tool and a treatment modality, the various types of surgical interventions and their effectiveness, and determining when surgery is needed. And we'll join the conversation after a brief word from our partner. Maintaining your strength and a healthy heart as you age helps promote healthy living and hence quality of life for all people as they age. To help prevent the natural decline of muscle and heart function, it's important to make sure you're getting the nutrition your body needs, and not just any nutrition, but science-backed nutrition, like life, by the AminoCo. You can take AminoCo's life formula as part of your normal routine to help maintain muscle mass as you age, maintain good heart health, and increase longevity as you age. AminoCo's life is a patented blend of essential amino acids that works to improve quality of life and lengthen total lifespan so you can stay healthy and active as you age. Life has been shown in clinical trials to clinically improve blood lipid profiles by significantly reducing triglycerides, LDL, VLDL, and total cholesterol. This product has also improved physical function in patients with heart failure, and they had the science to back it up. Life is 100% science-backed, and it is designed for heart health and active aging, which are crucial for total lifespan. So why Aminoco? Life works by triggering muscle protein synthesis, which is the body's mechanism for repairing and building muscle. When tested against any protein source, life is more than three times more effective on a gram-for-gram basis at stimulating muscle growth and repair. I know just how important it is for my quality of life and staying healthy as I age. You can check out their science by visiting aminoco.com backslash LW30. I've been on the lookout for something that could help me support healthy blood flow and help preserve heart strength and function while also helping me maintain healthy triglyceride and LDL cholesterol levels. Furthermore, something that tastes great and is easy to incorporate into my daily routine. What's even better is that AminoCo's Perform was created by former Harvard professor and well-renowned clinical researcher, Dr. Robert Wolf. If you're looking for a nutritional advantage when it comes to maintaining muscle mass and cardiovascular health as you age, I recommend you give life a try. And right now, you can get 30% off when you visit aminoco.com 
backslash LW30. That's the letters L, W, and the numbers 30. Again, right now you can get 30% off LW30 when you visit aminoco.com backslash LW30. That's the letters L, W, and the numbers 30. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are now, I believe, in week four, four. of Endometriosis Awareness mm-hmm. Week. I can't, where has the time gone? I can't believe it. It's crazy. <laughs> um, you look beautiful in your yellow. Thank I like you. that. And so as we are continuing our Endometriosis Awareness Month conversations, we are back with Tiffany Davis Nazaire. She is a person who is living with an endometriosis diagnosis. Welcome back, Tiff. Hello. And over the last few weeks, we have talked about endometriosis 101, just the basics, the diagnosis, what does it mean? We've talked about some really crucial myths. We've talked about some dietary and lifestyle um, modifications. Mm -hmm. We've also talked about how to handle endometriosis in your relationships, including work and family and friends, intimate partners, um, marriage, spouses, all the above. And last week, we talked about endometriosis and pain perception. So this week we're going to talk about the other aspect, which is the clinical aspect, and that is the surgical intervention. So as we talk about surgical interventions, Tiffany, when you had your first surgery, what brought you to that point that you realized or felt that you needed surgery, and what was your goal? So um, mine was a little bit different. I um, I think like we discussed in either week one or two, I just had this pain, doubled over, passed out, and then ended up in the ER. And after they worked me up, they said, you need to go see this doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and then I didn't really have any goals because it was so acute. And then like my age, and I don't want to make it seem like 16 year olds aren't capable, but just at my age, then the background, as far as like talking about certain things, you just kind of didn't discuss. that was my experience. Now, I know that, um, I don't know if the whole, include everyone in your care was like front and center back in 1999, but um, I think that my parents were more aware of what's going on and that information Mm -hmm. never made it to me, really. Right, right. And I think that's that's a big point to consider because a lot of times, Women are people who have an endometriosis diagnosis, don't even get the diagnosis till they're in like adulthood. So you don't even really understand what's happening to your body as it's changing through puberty, let alone, oh, it's supposed to be painful. So maybe this isn't a thing and maybe this is just how life is. How do I even talk about it? If this is just how my life is gonna be, I just gotta like, okay, figure out how to manage the pain. So your goal in, in essence was pain um, diminishing and pain relief, um, more so than anything well, for else. the So that was my first surgery. I guess the, the goal there was to, yeah, get rid of the pain or whatever is causing this. Um, and then right. the endo diagnosis, you know, fast forward my second and that was 16. My second and third surgeries didn't happen until I was 35 and 38. So oh, wow. it's a okay. very different. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's basically yeah. like I knew what was happening 
sort of, but I really was not aware of what was happening to my body. And I was not really right. included in those conversations. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And again, this is just one of those. It's another podcast. I think it's very important to realize <laughs> that not everybody gets diagnosed, not everybody comes to that point of the intense pain or right. the fertility challenge. Right. And at 16. Exactly. You, you had, you, this is again, another unique perspective. So, <laughs> As far as you can remember, were any of the risks and benefits discussed of having that surgery during that time? Or do you remember that it being discussed with you or your parents? So um, I know it wasn't discussed with me, but I know um, I've talked with my mom and they did discuss yeah. the benefits and risks. Um, she doesn't remember. She does remember them saying that they may have to take my ovary. And what that would oh. mean. She did, she did remember that. Um, and she did remember them discussing the recurrence, but only because she had endo. And she knew okay. she knew that it could come back because that's what ultimately led to her hysterectomy and her surgery. So she knew that, but she still okay. only had a very limited knowledge of endo and all of its intimate details right. and working. I mean, I think about it, 1999, <laughs> 16 years old, and then your mom, I mean, I, even if she was like a teen mom or whatever, I mean, that was still a longer time ago. So they knew even less and there right. was ne even less advances and even less conversations and even less openness and awareness. And even like right. all the things that we're thinking about, there were still, they, no one was talking about it the way we're talking about it right now. And that's the important part. Like we talk about it so much right now, which is great, but we also have the internet. Back in 99, right. the internet was nowhere near like what it is right now. And the availability of information yeah. was just not there. So even right. th those discussions and, and uh, talking about things was even more important back then. And I think that's where... Yeah. And probably even more challenging because there was less information. Right. And less platforms, right. less social media to really engage people from all over mm -hmm. the place. Okay. So at that time, this is, we're still at first surgery. Was there any other diagnosis that you had, any other health concerns that you had besides that, that you knew of, except for this excruciating pain during or surrounding your menstruation? That's it. Okay, so at this point there was no endo and no. it was just endometriosis. Yes. Okay, not just just, but that was the only thing that, that was the primary and main concern. Yes. Okay, so up to this point, you know, right before, you know, you doubled over in pain. What had you been doing so far to manage your pain? Um, like during my period, I would do uh, ibuprofen. Okay. That's about it. Did that ameliorate anything? Did it help? Or was it just a matter of it like helped. dulling things a little bit? Okay. So yes, that it, it dulled okay. things um, until the next okay. go round. So it made it possible okay. for me to actually move around and, you know, okay. do things. So. Okay. At, had you taken any birth control at that moment? No. Okay. Um, what was from zero to 10, and we're talking your zero to 10, 10 being the worst pain of your life, what was the severity of your pain at this point? Well, if I'm sure it was a 10 to me back mm -hmm. then, but knowing the pain that I felt since then, 
the pain yeah. on that day when I doubled over was probably probably like a six or a seven compared okay. to All right. what I felt what it has since gotten then. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And at that moment in time, at that age, what did it, can you remember things that made it worse, things that made it better? Um, worse was like walking, walking upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, things that made it better was medication. Um, didn't really have knowledge of to do heating pad like I do now. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely not essential oils or anything like that. So just right. rest if you can. Okay. You know, but there's the yeah. whole, okay, I can't miss school. So I was just about to ask that. Were you missing school for on days that you had flare up? I had not missed school to that point. It was it was very uncomfortable, but I I just uh-huh. kind of. But you forged mm-hmm. on. Okay. How about records review? And I know again you were sixteen, so at this point in time, looking at your medical records was like whatever. But did you have any records review? Did your mom, primarily? I'm assuming did she. Did they review any of your records in terms of um, anything that had gone on pediatric up to this point that they looked into or that helped them to potentially frame a diagnosis? Got it. Okay. So now we are at surgery. You're doubled over the pain. They refer you to who? Was it a general surgeon? Was it a colorectal surgeon? Urogenital? Urology? Who did they refer you to in terms of, okay, to address your pain? Um, it was a OBGYN, um, okay. and I felt like out of all my doctors, she actually managed my pain the best, and she kind of explained okay. things the best, sort of. Um, okay. And had you been going to an obstetrician gynecologist prior to this pain? Nope. Okay, so this was your first introduction was, to yep. gynecology. Yes, okay. another problem. <laughs> yeah, it, An- another like, problem. Um, it, yeah. it definitely was my first time, um, and I don't think she expected endo when she went in because okay. the conclusion she was, she was my surgeon. Well? She, there was a cyst, okay. so she was there to remove the cyst. Okay, I think once she got in there, because I was cut, this wasn't laparoscopic. She's like, okay. oh. Okay, so the end. She definitely diagnosed it after the fact, after seeing. So I think she went in and she may have gotten more than what she expected to find. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, when she, when you decided on surgery, you knew surgery was the right step. How did even that conversation go? Was there any talk? Did she know based on your symptoms? Was it an ultrasound? Was it an MRI that she even found the cyst? How did she know that, or how did you come to the conclusion that yes, surgery is our next step? Um, so the surgery at sixteen, it really wasn't a choice given to me. They were like, "This okay. needs to happen." Okay. Um, because they knew you had a cyst, yes. or the pain was ongoing. The pain okay. was ongoing. How did they find the cyst? So ultrasound. I have never had an MRI oh. for endo. Um, okay. Just good. cast scans good. and ultrasounds. But um, okay. I really wasn't given a choice. They were like, okay, you yeah. passed out. There's something happening. This is what it is. 
here are the risks and benefits, here's what's going to happen. It really was no, okay. It wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a conversation. <laughs> like, here are your options. What would you like to do? They're like, no, here's what's going to happen. No. And then I was a minor. So, you know, right. that further complicates things, too, as far as, like, dec- declining services or treatment or whatever. So, and, of course, your parents just right. want to do what's best for you at the time. And you're telling me that surgery yeah. will make it better. So, okay, yeah, that's the logical option. Absolutely. Okay. So now we're at surgery. You know you have to do surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, were, what was the out, what was the end game? Was it to improve your quality of life? Was it to what what was the end game in terms of addressing your pain? In terms of addressing my pain, I don't really know if it was even discussed that you know when she has her period, she has. Uh, this fullness here. I don't even think that was discussed. I feel like there's a cyst. It's on your ovary. The goal was to preserve fertility. Okay. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that that combination because usually that's what we're talking about when we talk about endometriosis and surgical event intervention. Right. Either alleviate pain or preserve fertility or address some fertility challenges. Right. Somewhere, somewhere in that realm. So at this point in time, we're talking about preserving fertility, and I guess the pain would be a, um, not necessarily a side effect, but a one of one of the things that come along with that um, of, of making sure we're preserving your fertility. Okay, good to know. Now, one thing I always like to highlight is that again, endometriosis is not necessarily a uterine disease by definition it's extra uterine and i think you mentioned it before that you can find endometriosis in the not just in the pelvic cavity but in the thoracic cavity in the lung around the heart the diaphragm brain brain, the brain um the bowels the Mm -hmm. colon Mm -hmm. so when you're talking about symptoms we have got to open our minds around the fact that it doesn't just affect menstruation right. or the menstrual full symptom. body. This is something that can be, so any any kind of symptom that happens potentially at particular times in your menstrual cycle, like you start coughing all of a sudden, or you're coughing more, or you're coughing up phlegm, or you're bleeding um, rectally, anything like that, that could be endometriosis. Yeah. Yeah, headaches, any any of those things, mm-hmm. that could be endometriosis, but no one's going to go first to your brain and look for endometriosis. No, no one's going to first open up your thoracic cavity just to see if you have endometriosis. Right. By that time, it could have spread, but it's always, you got to look for, you know, the horse instead of the zebra right. when you hear the, when you hear the hoof, hoof prints or the hoof beats. Okay, so there's that. All right, so when, after this, after this surgery, this is surgery number one. You know, things have gone on, things have evolved, and this surgery was, after you mentioned before, to deal with some of the torsion that had happened around the um, your fallopian tubes, your ovary, mm-hmm. and that's what led to them having to remove your ovary because of the torsion. So talk to us a little bit about that. Um, so the cyst had grown a stem and it had wrapped around and then there was some twisting which is that torsion that you talked about so essentially what happens is you have a lack of blood supply because it has twisted and that's what causes pain so it's the same thing that causes the chest pain um, in a heart attack like that classic ah 
like when you have a heart attack, uh-huh. it's the same thing because now the muscle is lacking blood. So that's what gives you the pain. Right. So that's basically um, what it was. That, that was my cyst. Um, right. And that was really all they thought they were going in there for. That's what they were trying to address. Right. Now, keep in mind, this was, at the time, they see a cyst. But we also know that an endometrioma is a special type of cyst. Not just the kind of cyst, the ovarian cyst that kind of can come and go and fluctuate. And yes, those can rupture, those can burst, causing pain as well. However, an endometrioma is a different type of cyst because it has endometrial-like tissue associated with it. And it also speaks to the level of the invasiveness, the depth of invasion. And as we look at that, that's what that endometrioma, sometimes it's not even the endometrioma itself, but the level of invasion that is causing the pain, that's you know um, exacerbating the cyst and everything right. else. Okay, just again setting some setting some parameters and looking at like this whole thing in all its features and context. So as we fast forward, okay, you're post-op, things are going along mm-hmm. with your life. When did you know that you needed to bring on another type of surgeon or another type of um, specialist? So for me, it was an extra fast forward because I was put on birth control immediately after surgery. And I stayed on birth control from age 16 until I was 33. So right after I got okay, married, so right, yeah. okay, came off okay. came off wow. birth control to try to conceive. That's when I noticed, okay, something's not right, and I knew it was endo. And my GYN was like, okay, yeah, that's just the endo. So you get the prescription meds, you get all of the normal or typical treatments mm-hmm. to do, and then at thirty five, I'm like, I I can't I can't take this. How did you know that it was endo versus just something else and did they make that endometrius diagnosis after your first surgery yes yes so i was able i was lucky i was very lucky that i didn't have to wait for a diagnosis so i had that diagnosis in my chart and i you know could carry it with me so providers could see okay she's got endo so i feel like that put me you know hundreds of steps ahead of some people Right. So when you had, what were the symptoms that you're like, when you came off of birth control, you're trying to get pregnant, what were some of the symptoms that you're like, oh, this is not healthy. This isn't normal. This is, this is something else. What, what was the trigger for you? Um, so it started out with the pain that I had in my teens, like before the doubling over. So it started out Mm -hmm. with that fullness. And then I'm just like, okay, this is just my cycle. Then I'm just like, wait a minute this might be endo, like it started to get worse and worse. And then I started to miss work. And then, you know, Uh that's when I'm just like, okay, when you can't push through it because I push through the pain. So if the pain is that bad that I can't push through it, then maybe it's time for another level of treatment. Up to re-examine. Okay. And keep in mind, again, all this time, that maybe not all these symptoms happen to you, but a lot of times when they're looking at scans, whether it be a CT scan, an ultrasound, they're looking at everything. The surgeons are looking at everything. They're looking to see if your uterus, is, your uterus itself is mobile. Because if it's stuck and it's not mobile, that means there are adhesions. Adhesions mean inflammation. 
inflammation leads to lesions, and that cycle just kind of continues to go around and around and around and around and around and around and, around and in and out and back and forth right. and up and down and up and back. Yeah, so there's, there's all these things that they're looking at because if that uterus is stuck to your rectum, it could be the fact that that adhesions itself are causing the pain. The pain. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of alleviate the adhesions, then maybe you can like mobilize the uterus. Yes. You don't have that much pain. Sometimes there are nodules behind the cervix Mm -hmm. that are those lesions. And that when they do a rectal exam or any type of um, exam that warrants a rectal exam, maybe there's rectal bleeding, they can feel nodules, those lesions behind Mm -hmm. the cervix that's causing the pain. Um, And sometimes people, when you just have a regular colonoscopy, depending on your age, which you wouldn't have had at 16, that can also lead to col- you know some colorectal surgery where they find the yes. endometriosis. So again, we're looking at so many different levels and ways to get to that diagnosis, not necessarily when you're at 16. Right. So again, all these things can warrant a, a surgical workup that will again help you find endometriosis. So you mentioned that you never had an MRI, and I do want to talk about that, that an MRI is very expensive, very, 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 very expensive, and usually, if you have a good diagnostician and a good surgeon, they're not going to push you there because they know how expensive it is. And you can find a very and make a very good diagnosis based on an ultrasound and or a CAT scan. Um, so what they'll usually find, and this is just some clinical things for, is that they'll find on an ultrasound that sometimes your uterus, which should be leaning forward, if this is the if this is the, I'll put it this way, if this is the fundus at the top of your uterus, it will, it should be leaning forward this way. That's a healthy position. However, in cases where there's adhesions or there's some type of inflammation, sometimes the uterus looks like it's actually bent backwards, almost bent in half oh, wow. and folded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's folded. So you're not even seeing the picture because it's just being pulled out of its typical position, which is also painful. painful. Yeah, that would be painful for anyone, right. even if there was no endometriosis, if your <laughs> uterus is now bending, like literally doing a back bend <laughs> in terms of its healthy positioning. <laughs> right. Got it. Like, yeah, that would be painful no matter what. So dealing with that immobile uterus, which by the time you got to these points, especially if you've been taking birth control, um, having like years, 17 years of synthetic hormone stimulation on top of the the estrogen production of the endometrial tissue itself, you've had a lot of other different things going on. Um, Were you, how did you get to that next surgeon? How did you got your laparoscopic, Mm -hmm. you didn't even have a laparoscopic diagnosis. You had one with your general, uh, with your Mm OBGYN at 16. Okay. Um, So how did you get a referral to your next specialist or your next uh, surgeon? So thank goodness I didn't need a referral at my insurance. I could just find and just pay like the, the uh, copay for a specialist. Okay. Um, I got to the point where I was just like, okay, something has to change. Maybe I need another surgery. Um, I hadn't quite found my voice yet. I hadn't quite found (laughs) the strength to advocate for myself like I have now. So I did do a little bit of research online. I was just like, well, maybe I need to have surgery again. Maybe I need a specialist. So I found one. 
and just kind of set up a consultation. And then after she saw me, she actually said that that pain is not normal. And Mm -hmm. shame on anyone who's ever told you that. Right. So anybody who has any type of diagnosis, especially endo, knows that when you find a practitioner that says that to you, Mm-hmm. that's golden because now yeah. they have validated you in a sense and not minimized you. you. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have taken the, first of all, and this is for anybody endometrius or not, you should not have pain with your period. Mm-hmm. That is a, that is a lie. I don't even want to say it's a myth. It's a lie that has been propagated to us since our first health class that we had when we were in right. like sixth grade or seventh grade or junior high school. That is something that is, and I, don't, I still don't understand why, but I know it has some pinnings in the patriarchy, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But your menstruation does not have to be painful. You, let alone painful, you shouldn't even have any symptoms. When people talk about the bloating, the headaches, the back aches, the numbness, the um, water retention, the breast uh, tenderness, the nipple tenderness, all of those things mean that there's a level of imbalance. Menstruation is just a natural part of being alive and having a uterus. That's what that is, period. It's a simple thing as blinking your eyes. You blink your eyes to moisturize your eyeball, to protect yourself from the dirt. That is a physiologically healthy process. And it's healthy. It's a healthy process. Exactly. Exactly. It's a healthy process. You would not want to walk around all day not being able to blink your eyes and having your eyes open and pinned open all day long. One, it would be painful. Two, it hurts. But there's, we talk about pain again. Right. When there's a pain, there's something wrong. It's not, pain is never okay. Pain is to let you know that okay. there's something off. Exactly. There's something wrong. It's an imbalance, a deficiency, and an excess. So when we talk about anybody who tells you that your pain is normal, give them the side eye and then reevaluate your relationship. Right. That's, that's, that's what it comes that's down to. Basically, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, what it, that's a clinician, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a mother, a father, a relative, whoever it is. When they invalidate your pain or encourage you to deal with your pain or act like your pain is not that significant or it's not a big deal, chuck up the deuces right. and you bounce. Right. They don't have to go, but you, you need to go. Right. So... I really do appreciate you highlighting that aspect and that someone actually validated your experience because those were your shoes that you were living in every day. Mm-hmm. Missing work, missing out on probably plugging into life, life. as a whole and mm-hmm. all the other activities that you yeah. want to do. Um, so validating that experience and saying the words that that's not normal and it's also not healthy, it's not acceptable, that's important. So continue. Um, and I forgot to mention that my second surgery came four months after uh, my first fertility treatment. So first I tried to do wow. IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, which is basically mm-hmm. they kind of give you a boost. You do everything yeah. else, but they kind of just give you a boost, right? Um, right. You, I still had to take medication. They hyper-stimulated me, so they hyped me all up, and then they shut everything down. And guess down. what that is? They hyped you up with, uh-huh, some other stuff to help you ovulate. And what is that? Hormones. Yep, other form of hormones. Continue. And then they hyper-stimulated me, which means my ovary was, like, this big, and they were just like, uh-oh, uh-huh. unless you want to be Octomom, we need to shut you down. <laughs> So you took me up and then you basically yep. kicked me off a cliff to bring uh-huh. me back down. Yeah. 
Um, and so all of my surgeries have resulted because of discomfort, pain, number one, but also assist. Again, my goal was to have a baby. So anything right. that I needed to do to preserve my fertility of the one ovary that I have left, yes. I was right. going to do it. So my second surgery came after that horrible experience with IUI. With My endo was not even was... taken into consideration. That records review that you talked about, yeah. my records were there, but I feel like you didn't say, okay, well, if you have this extent of endo, maybe the IUI or maybe there's something else that we need to do. I don't think you considered how the drugs would affect my endo yeah. in a negative yeah. way. So that's one of those things that, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. That's a thing. It really is a thing. Right. Um. And here we are now beginning to talk about mm -hmm. endo and. This is when that endo and conversations begins. Mm -hmm. For your case, it's endo and fertility challenges. Right. And so one thing we talked about is that you did not have, I want to go back to it, you did not have a laparoscopic di um, surgical intervention to get your diagnosis. And that's typically how most people get, because you can get the diagnosis and some remediation all at one mm -hmm. time. Remediation meaning you can get some of that taken, taken out. out. They go in, they mm -hmm. see, yeah, and they take, take out or excise what they need to take out. Um, we're going to talk about the difference between um, excision and ablation mm -hmm. in a little bit. Um, but that's typically how endometriosis is diagnosed, and that's that wasn't your course. But now we're going to go back, hop back again to the endometrioma and the pain. A lot of times when you have a wonderful surgeon and a good practitioner and a good team, they're going to ask you is about what are your goals like every single time? What are your goals for this for this procedure? And it's for the most part, and it could be some be something completely different, but for the majority of the cases it's going to be about pain, infertility or both. Right. Fertility challenges or right. both. And when you're dealing with an endometrioma, yes, there's going to be some level of a pain. But then when you're taking in the fertility challenges, we have to think about how deep, like the endometrioma means the invasion into your tissues is already deep into your pelvis. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna literally be operating on an ovary. <laughs> operating on an ovary means you're going to be interfering with ovarian function, yeah. in fact, decreasing that ovarian mm -hmm. function. So at the same time, we're addressing a pain issue, the depth of invasion, but also, this is going to, by definition, be decreasing a high possibility that's going to be decreasing ovarian function. So when, even when you're talking about IVF, you want to make sure, are we, is going to, cutting out the endo really going to be beneficial when by any type of IVF procedure, you're literally bypassing all the things. You're bypassing the ovary because you're going to get, you know, you're taking those Stimu you're stimulating the ovaries. You're not even, it's not happening inside the body. Right. Again, you have the fallopian tubes. It's not, there's nothing that needs to travel. You're bypassing that. Right. Uterine cavity, also bypassing that. So, because all of that's happening outside the body. So, is having another surgical intervention that could potentially lead to more scar tissue, more adhesions, more inflammation. Is that the thing to do right before you prepare for, or, fertility cycle or an IBS cycle. <laughs> Again, to, things to consider that they cl clearly did not mention with mm -hmm. you. Here we go. Yes, yeah, so next thing, 
Adenomyosis, this, I'm bringing this up because again, we talk about endometriosis, adenomyosis, fibroids, yes. like sometimes they're all, they, yeah. sometimes they can all be wrapped up Absolutely. into one person's Absolutely. body. You can have all of them. It is possible. It's a mis- it, that is a miserable existence yes. because you're fighting so you're fighting all the demons. Mm-hmm. Um, you're fighting them with not all the best uh, weapon weaponry. Weaponry. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, weaponry. Yes. So again, to make the distinction, endometriosis are endometrial-like tissue, but it's extrauterine. By definition, it's outside, outside the uterus. Mm-hmm. Fibroids can be anywhere. Literally, they can also be outside your outside the uterus. But mainly, uterine fibroids are again in the uterus in the different um, layers of the uterus. Adenomyosis is the endometrial tissue, but it's growing into the muscular layer. It's growing into not the cavity, but it's growing into the muscular layer. So sometimes it can look like fibroids. Sometimes it can mimic endometriosis. And nobody knows what to do with it. Nobody really knows how to diagnose it. And then it's like, oh, what do we do? And again, you can have all three of these going on in your body at one time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's a party. (laughs) But anywho, just just for clarification, I wanted to make sure we um, address some terminology. So they had you on, you had had your IVF cycle. Um, Moving on through. So that was IUI. So IUI. Yes. Second surgery. Decided to, um, after my second surgery, I did, I lied. After my second surgery, I did Lupron. And then after I got off Lupron, so they highly recommend that you, um, Uh no, I had the, I had the order, right? So I did IUI second surgery. They highly recommend that you, get on um, some sort of um, birth control to minimize it coming back. Because again, that's one of those uh, risks or uh, recurrences that they tell you about that this can come back. I decided Uh not to, because again, the goal is to get pregnant. So I get everything removed with surgery number two. Let's try to, you know, make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't happen. And then March, I had surgery. In August, I was doing IVF. So this is my different type of fertility, but this is my second round of Uh fertility. Now, the IVF, if anybody has heard or know personally or intimately, that's a different animal. It's injections. So injections of some strong stuff. Um, I do think my endo was taken into consideration. The doctor was just like, well, you don't have unexplained. We know why. We just need to figure out mm-hmm. the best way how. So I appreciated that. Um, that process did not work. Um, right. And I still, um, after that surgery, I was just like, you know what? <laughs> that, not the surgery, but the IVF, after that experience, I was just like, I never want to do this again. But I do mm-hmm. need relief. I've been in pain for right. so long. So I did um, take, I think, two rounds of Lupron, and then I started um, Oralissa, which is one of the medications for endo that did not work for me. Right. I had horrible side effects. Again, this is all my experience. Um, right. Yes, all of this, is all, we're talking about personal experience. Right. That's what we've been talking about with her for the last four <laughs> weeks, so you can know her. This does not have to be any everybody else's case. So this is not bias or anything, right? Yeah, this is just my just experience, your lived experience, um, right? 
And there are always going to be some threads that no, what, from the time you get diagnosed, mm -hmm. if there's any pain, if there's fertility challenges that you may experience so that you can try to avoid them right. um, should, should you come, come, come up for you. Right. Go ahead. Continue. So um, it was after that experience with the Oralissa, then I'm like, all right, well, let me have this other surgery. Um, okay. That was pretty, uh, no, I went a few years after that. So after my IVF, I actually mm -hmm. found, so this is the turning point for me. Um, okay. <laughs> so I actually found a practitioner. I found a village. So it was not just a GYN. It was everything. It was steaming. It, and I think I talked about this on one of the other podcasts. So it was everything. Yeah. Um, to really address, and I had never had that before. Again, I had done my research now. I'm kind of finding my voice, advocating for myself. So I had it to be able to tell the um, IVF doctor who I was, who was following me, like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to, right. you know, try some other treatments. If I need you, I know where to find you, but I need to take this into my own hands now. Right. Um, so that was the turning point. So that was what we call alternative therapies, that was a turning point for me. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. And so before we go there, I want to, again, this is another thing about navigating the system that not everybody knows. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be coded in medicine. Mm -hmm. Every single thing has to be coded. If the doctor, doctor looks at you, there's a code for yep. that. If the doctor winks at you, there's a code <laughs> at that. If the doctor touches you, there's a code for that. If the doctor touches you on the outside versus the inside, there's a code for that. So one thing I do know, and I am not a medical coder, but I do know the intricacies of you know, coding, is that if you have a planned, a surgery for endometriosis, it will be covered if it's based on pain. So when you talk, no matter what, you must talk about a pain component. And if you are endometriosis pain and you have a diagnosis and you are pain free, more power to you. However, if you're going to have an endometriosis related surgery on the basis of fertility, please know that it will not be covered. There is no insurance covered. They are not going to code it. They're going to code it for, oh, you came to us because you can't get pregnant. And, I'm, and I, this is not fair, it's not just, it doesn't make sense, because guess what? It's the same surgery. It's the same procedure. They're not doing anything different. However, if you are only talking about your main concern is getting pregnant, even if it is, please know that the doctor's gonna write down for fertility challenges. That whole surgery will not be covered by insurance. So you need to talk about literally every single one of your symptoms even if it doesn't have to do directly with the fertility challenges, which it does, but you need to talk about the pain aspects, whether it's uterine, whether it's extra uterine, whether it's in your chest, whether it's cough, it, not fabricate, but still talk about right. your lived experience and don't try to downplay anything. Right. I really do think it's important because a lot of people do not know. It's a, and yes, it's the same surgery. But if you're, if you're doing, having the surgery primarily for fertility challenges, and that's gonna be the medical office where you go that you know, puts in these codes, mm -hmm. and you're having it primarily or only for fertility challenges, you're gonna see a price difference when you get that bill at the end of the month. Let's just say that. Absolutely. Okay. All right, so you found your village. Yes. 
you're getting your complimentary, your integrative mm -hmm. care, you're doing all the things. Mm -hmm. And let's fast track, I think you said, a good, let's fast track to like, I think 2020? The third surgery? Yes. So yeah, 2021. That's 2020 or 2021? 2021. Okay, there we go. Um, so despite, you know, getting my life back, I would still get, um, like these cysts and the one that I got uh, right before or that prompted me to get the third surgery last year was another cyst. It was huge. It sent me to the ER. I can always feel, I'm like, okay, something's different. Uh -huh. And every single time yes. I go to the ER, they're like, oh yeah, you have this. Like, I just know I have studied mm -hmm. my body so intimately that I know, I know when something's not right versus, okay, this is just bad bad pain this time right so um yeah I had that done and that was with so it, it's funny actually because I thought the second person was a specialist but this person was a special specialist please <laughs> I say that to say please be careful and people will put these doctors will put oh yeah endometriosis oh yeah I do this and this and this but they don't so that's just another then, thing to speak to. Yes. Just please, please, please clarify. And the way to make sure that you're dealing with someone who is a specialist, and I again, I'm promoing this on every episode because we need to stop the, the, the trickle effect to get to where you need yes. to get to. Yes. Because every time you get sliced and diced, you're, you're moving yourself further and further away from a goal. goal, whether it's pain yeah. relief or fertility um, preservation. Absolutely. You're moving yourself further and further away because there's more and more stuff to deal mm -hmm. with. Repeat surgeries aren't fun, especially when you're not addressing the thing most efficiently and right. most effectively. Right. Go to Nancy's Nook. She has Facebook page. Yes. I'm going to include it in the show notes. There's Nancy's Nook. She has a, um, a whole website. But on that website, there are certified specialists, endometriosis specialists that people have reviewed who are actually, th this is what they do. And again, getting that referral to a specialist may not be easy because so your gynecologist or your general surgeon may think like, oh, okay, I mean, I can well, do this. Well, I can do this. Or, what you need to go over there for? I mean, why, right. why do you need to go? Over, I can fry chicken. Why do you need to go over there? I mean. <laughs> Precisely. And it's the same thing, like I said, when you're dealing with a fine-tuned machine, you want it to be taken care yes. of like a fine-tuned machine. You don't take your Maserati to Jiffy Lube. <laughs> so why would, you why would you take your most intimate being, which is your womb, your womb. that's your most intimate yes. possession, yes. your womb, why would you take that to the little butcher shop on the corner? You wouldn't do and that. And that's exactly what but it that's is. That's what you're doing. Butcher shop. That's exactly what you're doing when you go to someone who's not a specialist. And there is no middle ground. Like, oh, they've seen a lot of endometriosis cases. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I've seen a lot of, you know, event whatever it is but that doesn't make me a specialist just because i've seen right. it have you treated it have you studied it have you made it dedicated your life and to successfully it? treated it and successfully treated that's the thing when you can yeah. see and make the diagnosis without necessarily going in based on symptomatology based on questions so that you would like you said before when you go in there's something that's surprising you you're not thrown off like oh i didn't know this was i didn't have this on my bingo card no you're like okay 
I know what I'm going in. I know what I'm looking for. I know how I'm going to take it out. I know how I'm going to address it. And you're able to fully as a surgeon, explain that to the patient so they know what to expect as well. And another thing, another surprise that you may get, not this is not every situation because it there are right. different things that vary, but most of the time, the real deal endospecialists, the ones that really know and have dedicated their life to working with patients with these types of disorders, they're self-pay. I say that because there is no, you talked about codes early, there is no code for the proper surgery for endometriosis. There is no code for that. So a lot of them are self-pay, another hole in the system. But that's another thing that that might not be every single case, but that's another thing to clue you in like, okay, this might be, you know, the real deal. Yeah. And this is, again, part of the reason why I do the work that I do is because the system, health, our healthcare system is broken. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic. I'm saying that because the system is broken because there's, it is not designed to address and cure and heal. It's designed to maintain It's not about wellness. Management. It's not about wellness. Right. It's not about wellness. It's just it's not, not a healthcare system. No. It's a disease management system. So oh, a lot of people are good. off about, oh, you won't accept my insurance or I can't, there's no insurance coverage for that or I've got to pay out of pocket. i got to write that down. But you're paying for what is going to be reimbursed by a system that's broken, by a system that's produced broken providers, mm-hmm. by a system that's not advocating for you, right. that's never designed to do such. So yes, it's an inconvenience, but it's about, and you should, and, and I'm being honest with you, you shouldn't have to make these decisions. Do I pay out of pocket or do I go with something that, you know, my insurance covers? Right. And depending on your insurance and what you can afford, one shouldn't have to make those decisions. Nope. It, it shouldn't be a matter of do I keep my lights on or do I don't live in pain every day? Do, you know, one of my kids can't maybe go to private school or college because I've got to determine what I'm going to, how, how I'm going to like manage my pain in my life. And because it, because those are the options, that's why people choose not to take care of themselves because in the face of choices like that, yeah, most of the time you've got to make one. one, And most of the time it's not going to be yourself, especially when you've got kids or you know mm-hmm. a family or who whatever a family and that could just that may not even mean children it could just mean a, a partner right. a, a, a parent right. anything so anytime a dog, yeah a, anything a that could be it so when you are faced <laughs> yeah. with that type of choice there's really no choice to make i i know right. which choice i probably make i'm going to keep pushing right. through this pain until it gets to the point where i can't do what i need to do but why should people yeah. have to wait that long that's the problem. And it is a vulnerable situation. Mm-hmm. It is a vulnerable, because you're in pain and you want the best. You don't want to have to have repeat surgeries for them to putz around in there and figure <laughs> out, oh, doodle in, doodle out, you know, you know, make a mess of everything. And then, you know, go to another one for them to do the same thing, mm-hmm. another one. And it comes back, sometimes comes back quicker and worse. I mean, a whole array of <sighs> things until yes. you get someone who can. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. None. And again, I want to, this is a major abdominal surgery. 
This isn't just, um, okay, an in and out, an outpatient. This is not that. This no. is a major abdominal surgery. Yeah. So you need to find a specialist who can diagnose and remediate. And did you ever have a lapar did you ever get a laparoscopic inter surgical intervention? The second Tiffany? surgery was laparoscopic. Okay. Mm -hmm. So again, when you do was yours a was yours done with uh, Da Vinci robots? Yes. Okay. Do you want to do you want to describe that process? Do you remember it? Do you want me to describe it? Um, I'll try. You fill in the blank. So with okay. the Da Vinci, okay. So with the Da Vinci robot, so laparoscopic means they basically make three holes or four, mm -hmm. depending on where they need to go. Um, they'll go yep. through the belly button. They fill your belly with air, so you know they can uh -huh. see everything. <laughs> so that's like gas on steroids after yeah. you're finished. <laughs> by the way <laughs> um so they go in and the the robot basically are the hands so you're controlling it from the outside but the robot it's what's you know cutting and mm -hmm. and and, and, yes. and and singeing or excising yes. or ablating yes. in some cases mm -hmm. um so that's what the da vinci is so it's invasive but the person is not necessarily touching the inside of your body it's basically right. robotic um it's a faster yeah. healing time depending on what you have done yeah. it's a faster healing time because you don't have that incision yeah. to heal from and that's another thing make sure that in this day and age you research healing times because if you know that you may have to be cut or if the discussion is that you're going to be cut and they're like oh you should be out um you know you should be good to go in three to four weeks or four to five weeks uh-uh Mm -mm. No, that's you. You were cut. I always add two weeks. Add two weeks to whatever they suggest because at least and don't make any plans. At least <laughs> don't make any over. Yeah, any plans to be flying internationally. I mean, you can, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that might not go so well for you. So just chill out because again, everything's gonna be inflamed because they have lasered and and and, mm -hmm. and cut and and done everything yes. so just think about taking a piece of steak and taking you know mm -hmm. a rake across that steak or like scooping out with a knife cutting and scooping. Right. just that's what has happened on the inside so just give your body right. the space and the grace to do what it needs to do to heal itself just sit down yeah. somewhere just sit down somewhere. Just sit down. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 re and restore yourself. Let right. yourself recover. Right. Take the break. Because you again, need it. this healing process is when it starts is from the time they make that first incision to the time they close you up, your healing process begins oh, then. Ready. So you out here mm -hmm. trying to bend and jump and twist. <laughs> and not, it's not helping. Mm -hmm. It's not helping. This is, you got a clean slate. Now it's time to work from there to like, you know, really make some real lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. And just so we know that if your surgeon, even if your specialist, your endometriosis specialist does not do Da Vinci robot, know that that is a matter of surgeon's right. preference. Right. There's, there's, it's not better or worse if you have robotic. It's, it's the robotic, the Da Vinci robotic um, assisted laparoscopy um, is not standard. Um, they call it a straight stick when you have a straight stick laparoscopy when you um, don't have the robot. But again, it's not better or worse. So if your surgeon, a specialist is like, oh, I do straight stick or and I don't do robotic. It's not like, oh, my goodness, I got to like be oh, Wait a minute. That's mm -hmm. not yeah, no, yeah, it's no. fine. <laughs>
Don't need to be lying for that. Um, she mentioned the camera and the belly button. The two incisions are on either side of the belly button, and, and the camera it goes through the belly button. Um, and sometimes, if you've had repeat surgeries and there's a lot of scar tissue, they will go in the um, left upper quadrant right underneath your ribs um, right before they um, inflate instead of going on either side. So those are just some things to consider again. But just please know that we're not saying that if you can't get a um, laparoscopic um, robotic um, <laughs> robot assisted, like you need to be lying to the door. Right. No, it's just that surgical preference, the surgeon's preference. And some people are just more experienced or more knowledgeable or they're more comfortable and that's what you want when someone's doing any type of surgical intervention you want the surgeon to be in, in, in his or her bag like that's right. her game like they go in there and they're like yep i got this because that means you know they're comfortable they don't have them in there be like oh this is my first one ah okay <laughs> no you've been doing this for how many years great that that's what we're doing and whether it's one way or the other as long as they're comfortable that's what your aim is um, another thing, if you cannot get to a specialist right away, mm -hmm. and we've talked about this briefly before, make sure when they do go in that they get, you get pics, you get video, yes. you get a whole array yes. of images so that when you do get to a specialist, they can look at those images and sometimes the specialist, all they got to do is look at an image. They don't even have to look at the whole album. And they can say, okay, okay, this is what we need yep. to do. Because again, they're trained. They have an eye for this. They know what they're looking at. The other, your obstetrician, your gynecologist, your general surgeon, your colorectal surgeon, they don't even know. They don't even, they can look at it like one or two images and pretty much be like, yeah, this is what we're working with and this is what I have to do. So just make sure that you are really getting yourself prepared so that you don't have to get sliced and diced more than one time. You don't put yourself in another situation. And when you sign your consent, um, I don't know if there's a way to get it put in writing that you want pictures because I discussed all of these things with my surgeon last year and they sent me one yeah. picture. They didn't take any photos. Like it was the best surgical experience, but the worst recovery experience yeah. I have ever had. Um, it, yeah. it was just horrible. So make sure if you can, that they can get it in writing because if you have to have this done again, or if you just need a specialist to um, take a review or chart or whatever the case may be, it may even be the same doctor. I need you to know right. what it was when you did it last time, because you're not going to remember yeah. me. You're not going to remember my case specifically. Mm -hmm. So right. you need those things to be able to reference. So just it's I can't stress how important it really is. And I was yeah. devastated that you did all of yeah. this. Like in your report, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. You know, it took me a little while to come back because I was hemodynamically unstable. All, you know, all of this stuff. Right. And you have one picture of the whole procedure. Hmm. And no video. No video. So my plea is to make sure that you have that conversation and I'm not sure. And you can speak to request that it's put into the note mm -hmm. that I said I would like photos and video right. of the procedure. It, they're doing it anyway. They're doing it anyway. Well, they should be. And they should, yes. And if they're not, that's a bigger, that's a bigger So issue. I don't know but if it was, it yeah, I don't know if it was the fact right. that they just didn't do it. I do know that I was the last case of the day. 
Um, Mm -hmm. There were so many things that happened. So I also thought, okay, if I were not a black woman or a woman of color, would I have my video? Would I have my pictures? Would I have all these things? So just save yourself and just have make yep. sure you're having that conversation up front and articulate it multiple times just because you bring it up right. once doesn't mean that doesn't suffice because right before you take me out or, or right before i go out make sure you get yeah. the pictures i know it's a sterile environment but right. y'all better get these pictures okay like i am right. <laughs> before i yes. get the pictures you get know the pictures. <laughs> right and again, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Mm-hmm. So the more annoying you yes. are in terms of hitting your thoughts, they don't want to see you in. You don't want to see yes. you in. Here's my stuff. <laughs> Handle my, my case. Okay, there you go. We talked about um, earlier on about excision versus ablation. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to like go over a little bit of okay. the difference. Excision is when you go in and literally take out the all the lesions, the entire lesions, any of the... Um, the uh, offending parties, so to speak. You take it all out. And 12 months to a year post-surgically, your symptoms will be greatly improved in comparison to ablation. Mm -hmm. Ablation, what it does is burn away the disease with uh, either a cautery um, or a laser. And so that's best for small lesions. So if they go in, you know, let's say for something else, and it's like, oh, we see a couple small lesions, they can burn those and pretty much address it, but it's really difficult to get deep enough or wide enough to destroy the entire area of disease or lesioned tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's harder when you try to deal with larger area with the ablation aspect, there's more injury and more probability you're gonna injure other organs. So what you really want to do is again, and that's why a specialist is necessary because you don't wanna go someone and be like, oh, I'm just gonna laser this off right here. We're just gonna laser it off. Meanwhile, now you've got a whole bunch of other issues because yes. somebody went crazy with a laser and they didn't know what they were doing. Exactly. You can't handle a whole someone who has you know, deep infiltrated um, endometrial tissue mm-hmm. lesions with a laser. And if someone who doesn't know that thinks a laser is a new toy and they're having fun, meanwhile, back at the ranch, post-op, you can't understand why you can't get your life right and why your life right. hasn't been right. Because you chose since. to have fun with a lightsaber inside my pelvic right. cavity. Inside my body. Precisely. Mm-hmm. Precisely. Mm-hmm. So you talked about setting up your team. Mm-hmm. And I think I, you didn't quite hit on it, but I'm going to like kind of go back to it. There was something that happened early in 2021 or was it late in 2020 that affected some of your, the evolution of this surgery? Um, yes. Oh, how could I forget that? Okay, so <laughs> October 2020. Okay, so September of 2020, I see my nurse practitioner and she does all the things for my um routine um checkup pap everything mm-hmm. everything's fine there's no ovary she did a manual exam i have the notes everything was fine no cyst we're good i get COVID in october less than a month later and i'm having surgery in march because now i have uh the biggest cyst that i think that i've had um that i can remember 
Um, yes. So I definitely think we know that COVID is inflammatory. We know that endo is inflammatory. So I think um, it is my firm belief that they consider RA, they consider lupus, um, they consider all of these other rheumatoid arthritis. I'm sorry. They consider all of these other inflammatory um, conditions when they discuss COVID. But it's my belief because this is a woman's issue because, oh, oh, no, that doesn't count. They they don't even discuss it. But it's my firm belief that my second surgery was the result of having COVID. That's my belief. I don't think anybody will yeah. write that down, but I can say it. It's my belief. Um, because you're not going to tell me that it goes from nothing in September, less than a month later, and then fast forward, what, four or five months? And now yeah. it's eight centimeters, nine centimeters. Come on now. Right. Like, yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's fast growth even for not in having the absence. Any, there was nothing going on. <laughs> right. In the absence of. Right. That's super fast growth for any type of cyst. Especially, I mean, they can get big, but then they wane and they go away. Exactly. They wax and wane. But to go from zero, nothing exists. There's nothing, no pain, no nothing. And like you said, you are in, intimately connected with, okay, this is different. Mm-hmm. So you know what it feels like. And to go from zero to like the biggest cyst of your life, it only, yeah. yeah. It was, and again, they wanted to not, operate in the ER. For us yeah. to debate COVID. Yeah. This is not a podcast mm-hmm. for us to, because that's not what I'm here for. And I'm not going to engage anybody in terms of that. However, there's, there's a cause and effect. There's always a cause and effect. And until you can tell me that you know for 100% without a doubt that it can't, it still it's can. It's a possibility. And mm-hmm. it's a possibility. And especially when there had been nothing else going on all this time. I mean, just like so many different things. And so again, this is not to change anybody's mind. This is not to like, you know, talk about anything about what's going on with COVID, except for the fact that there was an offending party mm-hmm. that differed between the time you had your <laughs> your annual yep. and the time that happened five months later. Yes. Something did happen. And do what you want with that information. As for me and my house, <laughs> this is this <laughs> Okay. So um, as we continue going on, so when you set up your team, and I know you talked about setting up mm-hmm. your team, how from this point on, now you have had surgery number three, pretty much about, you know, almost 20 years apart, about, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more than 20 years right. apart from first to the last. Um, how have you, what tips do you have in terms of setting up your team and your surgical team and your multidisciplinary team in terms of your um, pre, pre-operation, post-operation, in the, in, um, the into time in between the interim, mm-hmm. what, um, tips do you have about setting up your team? Um, so I do think your, um, your interim team is most important because that is who will manage you in between surgeries. So the goal of every surgery is to not have to have surgery again. Right. So hopefully when you do get your surgical team, it's a one-time or very, uh, sporadic, um, relationship that you have to see right, them. So right. it's the maintenance in between. And so for me, it was finding the, um, 
non-Western or non-Western yeah. textbook methods of treatment that really, like I said, changed my life. So acupuncture um, and all the modalities. So whether that's moxa, yeah. cupping or anything like that, pelvic massage, mm-hmm. steaming, pelvic floor therapy, um, you know, trying to get back into movement. Um, right. Which has been really hard since COVID because my lungs really took a hit um, during COVID. It took me 11 months to recover. So even getting back into that and just moving more, like I feel, I can feel how things are just kind of, you know, stuck. Mm -hmm. And so just stretching and all of that other type stuff and just being... um, being forgive, not really forgiving, but just give yourself, just be lenient on yourself. Having grace for yourself. Give yourself the grace. I keep saying it. Yeah. Just make sure, you know, just know that it's not an overnight thing. Endo, you don't get endo and then it just gets horrible overnight. You may have new pain that you notice overnight, but that's not the nature of the condition. Right. So just know that it didn't take, it wasn't overnight that you developed this and, you know, just give yourself a little bit longer than overnight to be able to adjust to any new treatments. And again, acupuncture is one of those things where it's not, it, it works because you continue to do it. And I do want to yeah. stress, it's not a, it's not a pill. So you just take the pill and you let the pill do the work and you have, you don't have to do anything. It is a lot of work on your part to do things outside. So it is your diet. Your practitioners can't, they don't cook for you. They don't. So unless (laughs) most people I know can't afford a a full-time chef. So you're having to prepare the meals and eat the the foods that are going to make you feel good or make you feel better journaling. So it's really, when you find your team, you are a part of that team. And if they don't treat you like that and they're just saying, okay, we're going to do a, B and C and they don't listen to you, then you're not finding a new team. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I was lucky enough. I found my first shot and it has been amazing, but it is work. It right. is work on your part. Don't just expect it them to do everything. it's still a chronic condition mm-hmm. that continuously evolves. Right. So what worked last year at this time <laughs> may be long gone. <laughs> and you might be on a new thing by now. And it's not because you're flaky. It's not because you're shifty. It's not because... No, because you have a chronic condition that evolves with... <laughs> you are, with you're going to be a shapeshifter. Listen, if you have endo, adeno, um, fibro, you are like a shapeshifter, honestly, because yeah. what you do... What you did yesterday may not work for you today. You may have been on cloud nine. You may have had all the energy in the world yesterday, which I did. And when I woke up this morning, I just was just not feeling it. It wasn't the day. (laughs) Oh, it was not the day. So, again, be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. I used to do beach body. So that's like lifting weights, kickboxing, doing all this stuff. And it makes me hurt to do too much mm-hmm. of that now. So it's shifting, thinking, okay, well, if I need to tone, maybe I should do more of, you know, yoga, more body work, more, you know, so it's just Pilates. Fi- Pilates. Yeah, so uh-huh. it's just finding those things yeah. and knowing, okay, a week before your cycle, you got to cut out that Pilates because any of that ab movement, you are going to uh-huh. be in agony. Um, so it's just right. knowing those things. And sometimes that's the case and sometimes it's not, but... Just 
it's it's a journey, but it's really a journey with two people. It's the self that you yeah. know and it's the self yeah. that you get to know. So it's basically like you and your future self mm-hmm. are taking this journey together and then eventually you merge as you merge like this. Yes. And you, and then you yeah. continue to grow as one because it's never it's it's not a destination, it's a journey, right? So you never just make okay. it. Oh, I've made it, you know. So you're always right. growing, you're always learning about yourself. So just take the time to do that as well. We have talked about resources, and I know in case anything else comes to mind, but are there any additional resources that have come to mind as we talked today? We talked about Nancy's Mm -hmm. Nun. We always are talking about Endo Black. Please, you know, go to the conference, especially if you're, if you know where you are in this country. Go to the conference, get to the conference, buy a ticket, because you will not be disappointed. and so we talked about those two because they're really good. They're comprehensive. But is there anything else that comes to mind um, in terms of surgical intervention or anything else that you can think of, a resource that we haven't mentioned yet or that we want to reemphasize? Um, yeah, Nancy's Nook, as far as, like, surgeons and everything, that's really um, Nancy's Nook. And She's a tried and true resource. Like, mm-hmm. she, she, she comes from a knowledgeable place, and you're getting information that you can apply and use in real time. It's not like hypothetical stuff. It's about, okay, if this is happening, go here. It's really about education. Um, and she's comprehensive. And again, the team of physicians have come highly regarded, highly respected because they're experts in their field. So one last thing that I want to mention is that especially when you are know that you have an endometriosis diagnosis mm-hmm. or even when you're thinking about that it could be endometriosis, tell your doctor everything. Share all your symptoms, even if you think they are not related. Open up, and that requires you to connect your mind with your body. So many of us are so, and this is sometimes myself included, we are so busy moving and shaking that everything is disconnected between what's above the neck and what's below the neck. And it's like our minds are always going that we don't even think about that, oh, I had a side pain, or I'm coughing more than I typically do, or why am I constipated, or my knee hurts. That's not things that you ignore, especially if they're happening consistently or cyclically, because that means something. Anything that you are having or experiencing that you can't explain or that doesn't connect with, oh yeah, I rammed my knee against the core of the table. Yes, I, I'm bruised here. Yeah, that's that's a direct connection. Right. I bruised, I'm bruised because I hit my knee on the table. Okay, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. But even if that same bruising starts happening like all the time and you can't remember bumping your knee, you can't, you don't know what you ran into, mm-hmm. you don't have any kind of like connection to these things, that's a symptom to, it's not just, oh, I bruise easily, which may be the case, but why is it happening more often? So check the frequency. Make sure you're connecting your mind and your body because often as women, we don't because we're so stretched in so many different directions. We may feel a symptom, but we ignore it. Now is not the time for that because you're, again, you're putting yourself behind an already large eight ball. And just disclose all the information. If you've had a pregnancy termination, just say it. Mm-hmm. No, and if and if your doctor judges you or you feel like you're being judged, it's time to get a new practitioner. Right. It's time to terminate right. that relationship. 
But if that that could be some scar tissue. That could be the reason for some adhesions. Mm-hmm. And again, not it's not about the judgment. It's about painting a picture so that the person who you're entrusting with your health and wellness and subsequent healing knows what they right. look for, right? And look out for how they can make connections that you can't on your own. And so, with getting off my soapbox, <laughs> Tiffany, any parting words of wisdom? Um, yeah, just make sure that. When your practitioner, whoever they are, um, they tell you the what, that's fine. But let's get to finding out the why. Because a lot of times, Western medicine does not address the why. They address the what, oh, pill for that, cream for that, Uh you know, but the why is important. So just make sure you keep that in mind when you're also having these conversations. Right, because chasing symptoms, again, is not going to be the answer. Mm-hmm. But you need to find out what's under, underpinning that, right. what's underlying that. Right. I love that. Thank you so much, Thank Tiffany. You. And next week is going to be our, I can't even believe this, but next week is going to be our last week together. I know, I enjoy I this. <laughs> I don't even understand it. I don't even understand it. I love I have this conversation. Enjoyed I love so much. you and your yellow. Thank you. Um, you look gorgeous <laughs> as always. You. But we're going to talk about endometriosis, an endometriosis diagnosis and fertility challenges. And we kind of broached some of that to, um, this time, but again, we're really going to be talking about that because, again, as we move from Endometriosis Awareness Month, April is Fertility Awareness mm-hmm. Month or Infertility Awareness mm-hmm. Month. I prefer to talk about this in the positive in terms of infertility, right. fertility challenges means something that we can overcome, but we're going to be talking about that. So it's going to be the perfect segue into next month. Yay. So until we meet again next week, I hope you have a good you one. You too. Bye everyone. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guest, their contact information and associated social media channels. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply to your own life. Also, please follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and comment telling us what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see more of in future episodes. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you next time.